Uh, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. That's where we'll be today. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, let us know. Raise your hand. Uh, we're glad to put a Bible in your hand. Maybe you forgot yours. Maybe you don't have one. I would be glad to give you one today. So raise your hand. One of our blue shirts will bring them to you and uh, put one in your hand today. That's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to use that for sure and keep that uh, as a gift from us. If you're new to Refuge, expository preaching is a big value for us. And so we find ourselves uh, at Acts chapter 10. Uh, Heath preached last week and did a fabulous job. And so uh, we'll be picking up where he left off. Before we jump into that, uh, have you ever, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been invited to someone's house or maybe to a party or just some kind of gathering before and, and you go and, 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 and you don't really know the people really well that you're going to, to the party with or to the gathering with? Anybody been in a situation like that where you go, yeah. And so you're like, oh man, I don't, I don't know many people there and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was just actually talking with one of my daughters uh, yesterday and or day before yesterday and she was talking about doing that very thing. She'd been invited to this little gathering time on Friday night and and I was like, she's like, I don't think I know many people there. I'm like, what a great opportunity to meet some people. My extrovertedness is like going, yeah, more people. And she's a very much an introvert. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, you know, dad, that's not how I roll. I'm like, I know, but it's a great time for you to meet some people. But, but we've all probably been in some of those situations before where you're like, I'm going to just kind of stay over here with my people and my little two or three friends that I know. And there might be 60 other people in the room. You're like, I'm not going to know any of those people because they don't know me and I don't know them. And I don't know what they're going to ask me. This is going to be really awkward. You, you tracking with me? You've been in that situation before? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, well, yes, just say yes. Yes, oblige me here. Uh, well, today we get a little bit of a glimpse into that very thing happening. Just some, it's, I always call it mixing groups, and it's difficult to mix groups. I learned it whenever I had high school friends, you know, I had my group of high school friends, and then I had my group of college friends, and then if we, I ever had a birthday or something like that, and you mix the groups of high school friends and college friends, how awkward that is, anybody? Yeah, and, and so it feels kind of like this today, as we get into this text today, that there's groups that are mixing and it's just kind of, it, it should seem odd, and so we'll get into what actually it looked like today. And so I want to go back, and I'm just going to read through the text that, uh, uh, that Heath preached through last week to kind of ramp us into where we are today. It'll make a lot more sense if we, if we do that. And so Acts chapter 10, and we'll pick up in uh, verse 1. Here's what the text says. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. I feel like I've got to say, hey, the Italian cohort. Uh, a devout man who feared God with all his household, get, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who is, uh, uh, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
became hungry, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And there were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And so that's the text that uh, Heath preached from last week. And so we're going to pick up right there today, in today's text, and we're going to pick up in verse 17. We'll read the first four verses. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. See where we connected this? They've made it there. They're at the gate, shaking the gate. I didn't say that, but that's just the way I picture it. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Hey, is Peter sleeping here? Is he inside? And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. If you're an underliner in your Bible, underline, I have sent them. And so when Peter had kind of gotten to this point, when the vision ended, as we saw at the end of last week's, uh, or really kind of melding into last week, into this week's sermon, Peter didn't have it all figured out. I mean, he didn't understand really fully what the vision was about yet. He it just didn't hadn't kind of all just resonated with him yet. He didn't had it, he didn't have it all figured out, and that understanding came in time. We'll see that really play out into today's text. Um, uh, but it it came to Peter, and, and and as God had sent these visitors to him to visit with him, and they had just arrived at his door. And so as, as we'll see Peter begin to get some understanding, we call that, I, I kind of see it as progressive sanctification. You may know what progressive sanctification is? Well, yes. Yeah, who said something? No, oh, you don't know. Yeah, so progressive sanctification is like whenever we become a Christian, we don't just become fully sanctified right away. Like we don't automatically everything go away and we don't automatically everything fall away and everything doesn't just become all hunky-dory right away. So progressive sanctification means that I'm continually becoming more and more like Jesus. He is kind of pushing some things away and putting some things to death in me, and he is putting on more of Jesus in me. I mean, we get him fully, but I'm being conformed into the image of Jesus, and so that will last my entire lifetime as I'm walking down through my life's journey and your life's journey. You'll be progressively sanctified and become more like Jesus along the way. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's progressive sanctification. So we see just a glimpse of that here, even in our text uh, uh, today. And so uh, at this point, uh, God had not told Peter that the people that were visiting him were Gentiles. He's like, uh-oh, mixing groups. <laughs> sort of back to that, oh, this is going to be strange and weird, you know, because we're, we're mixing groups of people that don't normally hang out with each other. Like normally a Jew like Peter would, would not associate in any kind of manner with any Gentiles. And, and, and kind of knowing this and Peter's kind of resistance to this whole thing of mixing and maybe eating and all this kind of stuff like that, God just kind of surprised him. He was like, hey, I'm going to bring some of them to you. Hey, hey, here we are. 
And so they're knocking on the door. These, some of these are Gentiles coming to him and, and visiting him and knocking at his door. But all Peter needed to know was that the Spirit said what? I told you to underline it. You didn't underline it. I have sent them. Okay? If you didn't underline it before, underline it now. Because I might ask that question again. I'm not going to, but I might. Then we go on. The text goes on in verse uh, 21. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what it is that you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Underline that right there. He invited them in to be his guests. That's going to be important. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And so I'm sure Peter, again, was shocked when he opened the door and saw two servants and a soldier. You know, that's not what you know. It's almost like you, a knock on your door and you open it up. It's like Shelby County Sheriff. And you're like, oh, uh, hello. Uh, what, what's going on here? I mean, he would have known immediately that they were not Jews. So that was a little bit shocking to him. He would have wondered why God told him to go with them and he was probably wondering, why would God be sending these dudes to my house? I mean, why are they here? Why has he brought them to me? This, doesn't, this is not really the kosher thing. This is not how I normally operate. And so the idea that God would send Gentiles uh, to him, to be with him, was entirely new to Peter. Uh, but God was expanding Peter's mind and his heart. He was opening his heart to something new. He was like, let me show you some things. And that's, again, I am, uh, that we're going to get into today's text. I love it when God does some unlikely things. You know what I'm saying? I, I really like it when, when God does some unlikely things, some unexpected things, and we're like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. Well, I never thought I would see that happen. But I love it when God does some unexpected things. A couple weeks ago, uh, I might have told you this already, but a couple weeks ago, we were in Starville for a, a football game. And uh, Carol and I went to tailgate with some old friends. And uh, we went to their tailgate, and we, uh, we brought up, and, and I hadn't seen many of these dudes probably since college. And so they came up, you know, hugs and all this, introductions to Carol and all this kind of stuff. And mul multiple times, they were like, binge. You're a preacher. And I'm like, I know. I'm not. I'm like, and, and so many, like literally multiple, they might be 10 minutes or 30 minutes, and then they, they would like, stop and like, dude put his hand on my shoulder, and he was like, binge. That's what they call me in college. Binge. You're a preacher. I'm like, I know. It's crazy. And so that was very unexpected for them. For the, I'm, I'm making the connection. Very unexpected for them. You expect me to be a preacher because that's all you've known me as. They knew big fun in college who never expected to be a preacher. And so it was shocking to them. And so for them, that was something very unexpected that God had done. And so I love it when God does unexpected things. It, it, and the Spirit uses unlikely people to accomplish unforeseen things. Okay? I, I, that's the Spirit, God uses unlikely people to accomplish unforeseen things takes people that you would never think that he it happens all through the scriptures unlikely people that you would go why would god choose this dude 
Why would God choose this lady? Why would God choose this group of people to do something? He loves using unlikely people to do unforeseen things. And so these messengers came. Well, before I get to that, let me ask you that question. What do you think he's using you for? What is that thing that you go, man, God is really wrestling, the Holy Spirit is really wrestling in me. Like I can, it almost seems like I can hear him audibly going, hey, bro, I need you to do this. I want you to go and do this. I want you to begin to, I want you to change this in your own life and to step into this role. What is that thing that God may be doing in your life? Maybe unforeseen. Maybe you have never thought in your entire world that God may be calling you into something like that. What is that very same thing? We see it all through Scripture. Happens today. Maybe it's happening to you. So anyway, the, these people came to, these messengers from Cornelius came with this invitation. And so Peter was to go to the house of Cornelius who wanted to hear a word from him at the time. And, and so this was one of those, you know, invitations that Peter couldn't pass up, right? I mean, he's going to go and tell people about Jesus, and he's going to go and, and tell people about the Messiah and the risen king. And, or, or, or was it? Was it a thing that he really wanted to get into? I mean, they're asking him to go to a Gentile's house. Worse yet, a, 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 an officer of the Roman army. Hey, we would go to this centurion's house and to share the good news of the gospel. He's wanting to hear it. He's wanting to hear it from you, Peter. And, and so Peter had never done anything like this before, going to a centurion's house. And, and so how would he respond? What would he say? Would he be willing to go? And I would say, thinking about a situation like that, many times in, in our church world, Rather than going to people that are a little bit different from us, or rather than going toward people that might believe a little bit different from us, or rather than walking into a situation that might be uncomfortable for us, many times we as followers of Jesus, we as church people tend to uh, move away from those situations rather than enter in. We tend to find the, the way of least resistance rather than, finding, rather than just listening to the Spirit and trusting Him to walk into the thing which He's preparing for us. We go, ugh, I don't know. That'll be tough. That'll be weird. Those will be some weird conversations that I'm just not willing to have yet. So rather than enter in, we kind of pull back away. We find a way to remove ourselves from others instead of entering into the place that God's prepared for us. So the text, we can see that the change in Peter's heart by the way that he invited them in. He invited these strangers into his house, which he would have never done before. So his heart was already beginning to change. And, and, and he, didn't, he didn't just invite them in, but he's like, you guys come in. Make yourselves at home here. My home, mi casa, su casa. Hey, my home is your home. Hey, the side door is always open. Come in, and, and you're welcome to be here anytime that you want to be here. There's a word for inviting people into our lives. There's a word for sharing our lives with one another. There's a word for going, hey, I want you to be part of what's going on here. And I want, I want to do some things together. And I want us to be together and encouraging one another along the way. What is that, what, what that word might be? Fellowship, it's a good one. Why don't I just tell you? Hospitality. 
Hospitality. The definition of hospitality is, uh, is this. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Honestly, hospitality is one of the hallmarks of a changed heart and a changed mind. I've seen it happen through the years here at Refuge because, you know, obviously we, we talk about living uh, open and having our homes open to one another and, and how I, I, there, was a, there was a girl that she and her husband were here and she just couldn't believe that we would open our, our doors and like have all these strangers in our house, people we didn't know. And she was like, I will never do that. And I, I'm, that's just not going to be. Scott, I know you're asking me to do this, but I'm just never going to do that. And I'm like, okay, well, just keep coming to our house. That'll be fine. Just keep coming. And long story short, she and her husband left here. They got called to another job, ended up down on the coast. And it's, it, it was almost instantaneous. By the time she got down to the coast, she texted us and she was like, you're never going to believe this, but I had people in my house this last week. I'm like, what? I'm like, bro, you wouldn't even do that here. Uh, but she had done it there. And so the spirit had taken her and it conformed her heart and changed her heart into going, I see what was happening here. And I want the same kinds of things to be happening in my own home. I would encourage you, maybe, you live, maybe you've always lived that way. You got like, my doors are closed, my shades are drawn, and my fence is built, and I live in my fortress, and nobody's getting in. I would just encourage you to think about opening your doors, opening your life, inviting people in, welcoming in the stranger for the sake, maybe, of them coming to know the king. Hospitality is one of the hallmarks of a changed heart and mind. It was happening to Peter. The question is, is it happening to you? Is your life lived like this? I hope it will be. One commentator said this. Normally, a Jew would have said, well, it's nice to meet you, but we need to stay out here in the street. You can't come inside. Or he might have said, if you go down the street a little way, I think you'll find an inn where you can stay. No Orthodox Jew would have invited Gentiles into his house. He would not have sat down at the same table with them. He would not have had fellowship then. It was forbidden for him to do that very thing. And so by Peter asking these Gentiles in, he was breaking all the customs, all the rules, all the traditions of Israel but wasn't going against God's word. God wanted his people to become a light to, his, to their neighbors. He wanted them to know the same the, the Messiah that he had sent was actually sent to them. And he was like, I want you to show hospitality to people. I want you to show love to think about to, to, to people as, they, as you encounter them. Think about that night, that, that house that they were in that night. You know, they, the text told us that they spent the night. Think about that night. You had this tanner. Remember the tanner was one who dealt with dead animals? And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that a tanner was one who dealt with dead animals, had to live outside the camp. And so they, they, had, to, they had to live outside the camp. He was staying at the tanner's house, and they had to live out there, and so nobody would be part of them. You had this tanner. You had a fellow disciple. You had the apostle Peter. And then these Gentiles, as they were all in this one little house together. We call ourselves the Island of the Misfit Toys here at Refuge. This kind of was the Island of the Misfit Toys uh, in that house that night. People that would have never come together before, never been in the same room before, were suddenly in the same place. And so Peter reached out in love to his Gentile neighbors in obedience to what God had called him to do. 
Say these words with me. Love and obedience. Love and obedience. He loved people enough to go against anything he'd ever learned in his entire life. And he was obedient to the one who had called him to do something that was outside of anything he had ever done before. Love and obedience. Enough to love people enough and to be obedient to the calling that God had put on his life. Love and obedience were part of his life. Is it part of your life? Loving people enough Caring about people enough and being obedient to the call of the Holy Spirit in your life. I hope it is. The text told us that some, some brothers from Joppa had accompanied him. And so there was an Old Testament story centuries before this uh, about another Jew that had come to Joppa with a serious message from God. You know who that was? I'll tell you. Jonah, the prophet had uh, took a ship from Joppa and refused to be obedient to the call of God. You remember the story of Jonah and how he just didn't want to do what God had done and, and he was going every other way except doing what it was that God had called him to. And so he, he, he's like, I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to sail the other way. I'm going to walk the other way, but I'm not going to the place that you called me to, God. And so Jonah ran from God's call thinking he could get away from the Lord. But Peter was willing to re-examine all the things that had happened in his life. Oh, the, way, the way he had lived his entire life. Think about it. That's why he struggled so much with the message before from last week. He struggled with it because contrary to what he had learned his entire life. And so while Jonah had run from the calling of God, Peter embraced the calling of God. The truth is, some of you are like Peter. Embrace it. I, I know many of you. I've been in many of your homes. You invite, you invite people in. Many of you host gospel community events in your homes. You host gatherings of your neighbors, and I love seeing that. But some of you are more like Jonah, kind of running away from it all. I don't want to do this. I know, God, you're calling me to this. I know you're calling me to something that is outside my norm, outside my, the thing that I actually feel comfortable doing. And so you're more like Jonah running away rather than embracing what it is that God has literally set in front of us to be what it is that we say we are every week at Refuge. And what is that? Missionaries. I would guarantee you, if a missionary goes to another country and says, I'm going to be a missionary in this country, what's their home going to be like? What are the doors going to be? Open. What is his table going to be? Open. Welcoming. Inviting in a stranger. Inviting people in to eat with him. Inviting people that have lived differently and culturally and might even be great sinners in the middle of, and involved in great sin. I, I can guarantee you that a missionary is going to invite them in to go, I want to introduce you to the one that says you don't have to live like this anymore. God, help us to be that way. Inviting people in, no matter who they are. Inviting people into our homes with the opportunity for them to know Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Uh, so, Cornelius had had a lot of faith in God. He was like, man, I, I don't, I've never met this cat, I, I don't even, but I've heard about him, and I want him to come to my house. 
and I'm going to believe that God is going to send him here, and so I'm going to send these people away to try to get him, coerce him to come back to my house. And so Cornelius sent servants to get a man that he had never met. He only knew that this guy was a Jew. He was a pious Jew, and by his tradition, he would have nothing to do with him. But he said, I still want you to go and get him, and I want you to bring him back here because I believe that God is sending, God wants him to be in my house today. That's, that takes great faith to do something like that. What are you doing that takes great faith? We all live our lives. We, we walk through our lives. We, 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 we get, you know, 70, 80-ish years on this earth. What are you doing in your life? With the years you have, we don't even know how many of those are. But what are you doing in your life that takes great faith? Stepping out into something that takes great faith. That I can't do this on my own. I will choose not to do this on my own. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, only by his help, would I even be considering to do this. What are you doing that takes great faith? What are you asking for in great faith today? Faithless, uh, faithless prayers are empty prayers. Prayers that we don't have faith that God is actually going to do something that are just empty prayers. Wrote prayers that we say over and over again. We pray, we should pray in great faith, believing that the God who spoke the world into existence and even caused this entire scene that we see today in Acts 10 to happen is the God who is hearing our prayers. The God who wants to hear from us. The God is saying, call on me. I will help you. I will be your helper in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through. Verse 25 says, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. And, and Cornelius didn't, again, never met Peter, didn't know him, but he must have thought he was some kind of special man of God. And so he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And, and, you know, that's understandable that, you know, he was probably amazed that he was there. And, and so it's understandable that he might do this. But Peter's like, stand up. I'm a man just like you are. In the great St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, there's a huge statue of Peter. And many times the uh, people that will go to this cathedral will stop and they will kiss the feet of uh, the statue of uh, St. Peter uh, in that cathedral. Um, the undue reverence for people who have been given sainthood in the Catholic Church is beyond me. And from our text today, I would dare say that if Peter could come back and walk into that great cathedral today, I would almost guarantee you, based from what I read in this text today, here you go. You people stop. Stop walking by here and kissing the feet of this statue of me. As a matter of fact, get this statue down. This is not me who you're called to reverence. We're called to reverence the one 
It's, I'm, you don't point people to me. Point people to Jesus. He's the hope. He's, if we're going to kiss anybody's feet, let's kiss Jesus' feet. Not a statue of me. Okay. I'm off that way. So Peter and Cornelius honored each other in this, though. Peter, they, they did. And so uh, because... Cornelius, by coming all the way from Joppa to be in this man's home, and honestly, by Cornelius kissing uh, uh, Peter's feet. Again, Peter's like, don't do that. But he was honoring him in a way of saying, I'm really glad that you're here. It means a lot to me, and I want to honor you by actually being here today. And so Peter was saying, I'm a man. Do not worship me. Only worship Jesus. And and I'll even say this. I'll, I'll sidebar on this for just a second and say, unfortunately, we have people that stand in pulpits like this one all across the, the country and and even locally that go, that almost look for this fandom and, and look for this reverence and look for this people to think much more of them. They even do of Jesus. We see it happen regularly. Somebody builds a big church. Somebody gets a big following. And, and rather than continue to point people to Jesus, it's like, I'm the guy in charge. I'm the one that run, makes all the rules. And we're going to do it my way. And you know what? Whatever I say is going to be the thing that goes. And and many times that message gets veiled in gospel language and in church language. Uh, but honestly, rather than Jesus being the hero, many people want themselves to be the hero. God have mercy on their souls. This Refuge Church has never been about me. It's not about me. I, I get the privilege to stand here and point you to the one who this is about, okay? This is never about me. It's never about an elder. It's never about a singer. This is never about anybody else but Jesus, okay? We don't worship people here. We worship Jesus here. God, help us to always be that church that has our focus fixed on one. Amen, church? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why do you send for me? And so verse 27 says, it's just really short. It says, Peter entered in the home. He went into the home. And, and so this is like a really important piece of this, pa- uh, of this passage because Peter actually entered the house of a Gentile. And I know we as Americans don't understand that necessarily. We don't understand the connotation of that. We don't understand really how really crazy and countercultural that was. But that's something that Jewish traditions just strictly prohibited. Jewish people were not to go into the home, not to enter the homes of a Gentile. And, and, And so by entering this Gentile's home, we're seeing, we're getting a glimpse of Peter's heart actually being changed. I mean, he's, he's changing what he had learned his entire life, what he had been accustomed to his entire life, the things that he had practiced his entire life, his heart and his mind were being changed. And honestly, that goes back to that vision of the great sheet coming down that, that again, that Heath preached about uh, last week. And, and so really, the principal subject of this chapter, of chapter 10, is not so much the conversion of Cornelius, which is important, don't get me wrong. It is important that Cornelius ended up becoming a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but it's really the conversion and really the change of Peter. 
the change in his heart, the change in his life, the fact that he, his affections were changing from following these Jewish laws and rote traditions that he had learned his entire life into going, people are more important than this. Jesus wants to reach people. Jesus wants to reach people with the good news of the gospel. And he is, Peter was saying, he is sending me to go and do this, and I'm not going to hold on to my traditions. I'll let anything go for the sake of other people coming to know Jesus. That's what we're seeing happening in our text today. So Peter had to explain why he, a godly Jew and also a Christian, would uh, uh, enter into a people's house. And so he explained the message that he received in the vision. And, and he was like, hey, again, I, I know this is not really just about food, but this is also about me coming to you. And I want to be part of your life. Um, and, and so in saying I should not call any man common or unclean, he's again saying, hey, this is about you. And I want to come to you. Jesus spoke in this principle, Mark chapter seven. Uh, Jesus said this, Verse 18, 19, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all food. So Jesus talked about that in Mark. And so again, love the Bible because it just puts it out there. He's like, man, food is not what's important. He's like, what do you do with food? What do you do with food? You shove it in your pie hole, right? You just shove it in. You're going to a buffet, eat from the buffet, eat whatever you want. That's, this is not about food. So if you want to enjoy some pork ribs, where do you go? Where's your favorite place to go in Memphis? Baby Jack's. Baby Jack's where else? Where? Oh, your house. Oh, well. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> so what are you going to eat? He said, hey. You want some ribs? Eat some ribs, bro. It's not about what goes into your mouth. Because what happens when it goes into your mouth? Where does it go then? Into your stomach. And what happens in your stomach? It gets digested. And then what does the Bible say that happens to it then? It goes out the other end. This, that's, this is Bible, people. He's like, you eat food. It doesn't matter because it's going in, it's got to get digested, and you're pooping it out. This is not about food. That's what it, that's what it says. And so then he goes on. He said, he said, so he said, this purifies all food. So it doesn't matter is what he said. This doesn't matter. And so then he goes on. Romans chapter 14, verse 14. Uh, Paul knew this as well. And so he says this. He said, there is nothing unclean of itself. So Paul could say, let no one judge you in food or in drink, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. And so Paul was saying, again, not about food. Not about these customs, not about these laws, not about these rituals that you've built up your entire life. I'll say this to some of you who've been in church world and suddenly you're coming to this place where things are just a little bit different, uh, that this is not about rituals or not about things that, are, uh, that we have put around ourselves that go, hey, this is suddenly important. And this thing that my grandma and, and my family and all these people have practiced their entire life, if it's not necessarily written in the scripture and if it's not about the gospel, then it's probably just something that our church has done for a long time. And, and, and Peter and Paul were saying, just like about food, some of those things just aren't important. And they're especially not important if they keep people, if they become a barrier to people coming to know the Lord. Okay? That makes sense? That's what he's saying here. And so the connection between these unclean people and clean people was really what he was getting at. 
And so they didn't like these unclean people because they were like, hey, man, these, are, these people are unclean. They eat the most ungodly things in the world. These, these Gentiles eat the most ungodly things in the world. He, and he said, and so we don't associate with them. And so the vision that Peter had gotten from last week was so important because I believe that if he hadn't got that vision, he would have never gone to the Gentiles' house. He saw this vision. God gave him this vision to go, hey, Things that are coming up, all this food is now clean for you to eat. It's okay for you to associate with Gentiles. It's okay for you to associate with people that don't practice the same things that you practice. He would have never traveled with these Gentile messengers that came to his house. And so God had to prepare Peter's heart before Peter would go to Cornelius. Kind of like as we preach sermons, at the end of our sermons, we ask you, what are you? And you say... We're preparing you. We're trying to prepare you to go and be a missionary. And so despite their cultural differences, Peter moved toward them for the sake of their eternal souls. He didn't let anything stop him for the sake of some people that he was sent to coming to know Jesus. All that mattered was them coming to know Jesus. Differences didn't matter. Uh, distance didn't matter. All that mattered was this is an opportunity for somebody to come to know Jesus. This was of primary importance to Peter. Being filled with the Holy Spirit helps set our priorities in the right order. So what are those things that you're leaning into today? Those places that you're leaning into. What are, what are your priorities looking like? Is the, Holy Spirit or, is the Holy Spirit orienting you and your priorities so that more people will come to know Jesus? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Let's keep going. Verse 30. Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house in the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. And send therefore to Joppa and ask Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so this message that Peter was about to, to preach, I mean, he was prepared to preach it, and I believe that, that Cornelius' household was prepared to hear it, to hear the message that Peter was about to bring to them. And so I'll ask you, church, whenever you come to a gathering, are you prepared to hear? I mean, are you really prepared to hear? Being on this side of the pulpit and, and this side of, of the congregation where I'm preaching, I've done this for almost 15 years now, it, it, it's different for me because I'm, I'm coming prepared, I'm studying, and I'm, and I'm prepared to preach what it is that I've prepared for the week that, that I believe that God wants us to hear. And so I've been out of the seat of sitting in that seat for a long time. But I, and, and I find myself when I do go to another church or if I'm going somewhere else, it's terrible for a preacher to go and do because I'm thinking about, oh, I don't know about that, and I bet they're about to do this, and I don't know about what's about to happen. I wish he'd have said that. There. You know, I'm critical, and I hate it. Uh, but do you prepare your heart to come? Because that's what was happening here is, is Peter was like, I know these people want me to come, and I know their hearts are prepared. Do you prepare your heart to come, uh, to, to listen and hear and take it in what is going on in the gathering? Or does this just become something rote that you're doing over and over again? Don't let yourself fall into that church. Come expectantly. Come expecting that the Holy Spirit is going to 
imparts something to you every time you walk in this door, every time you open up the scripture, anytime you're meeting with the people of God, that he come expectantly to hear with your heart prepared, with your mind prepared for God to do something in you, God to do something for you, God to do something with you, expectantly. Peter went there expecting God to do something. He didn't go that far just to show up. Expected God to do something really big. All right, that's my intro, and here's the sermon. (laughs) Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to is acceptable to him. As for the world that has as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Your, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing and good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the peoples, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so right off the bat, uh, uh, Peter says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. And, and so this was Peter's fundamental understanding and his fundamental declaration that says that I believe that the gospel was not only for my people, but the gospel is for those who are outside the Jewish faith, outside of Israel, that God shows that God shows no partiality. Suddenly it was beginning to uh, happen in his mind. Oh my goodness, this is what this is about. God shows no partiality between people. That went went against every Jewish thought that he ever had in his entire life. Because they thought, Jews thought, certainly God shows partiality. Partiality toward the Jews against the Gentiles. Uh, William Barclay, he is a, uh, he's a commentator. He wrote this. He said, it was common for a Jewish man to begin a day with a prayer, thanking God that he was not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Okay. Thank you, God. I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. And thank you that I'm not a woman. Okay? A basic part of the Jewish religion in the days of the New Testament was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstances, such as giving directions if they were asked. Hey, can you help me to find where this particular house might be? Nope. I mean, really, I'm almost there. I mean, could you give me just a little bit of directions? Nope. He goes on to say, but it went even as far as refusing to help a Gentile woman at the time of her greatest need when she was giving birth because the result would only be to bring another Gentile into the world. That's the hatred. That is the way that they were despised, that Gentiles were despised by the Jewish people and they had been brought up in this tradition for their entire life. Do you see what a big deal this was? For him to go into this house with this particular message, 
But the Gentiles could be just as bad. Uh, Barclay says this, Gentiles despised Jews as weird traditionalists and believed that they were evil plotters who worshipped pigs. After all, they thought Jews refused to eat pork, so they must worship pigs. See? Religious traditionalism leads us into great error. All this changed with the spread of the gospel. All this changed with the spread of the gospel. Christianity was the first religion to disregard racial, cultural, and national limitations. So Peter's point was not to imply that that Cornelius was already right with God and didn't need to become a Christian, but he was willing to disregard racial and cultural and national limitations. Are you? Here's the real question, white audience. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to cross over into people who don't look like us for the sake of them knowing Jesus? Are we willing to cross over cultural differences? People that might believe something different from us. Their skin color might be a little bit different from us. Their their diet might be a little bit different from us. Their customs might be a little bit different from us. Are we willing to cross over those uh, uh, racial and cultural and national limitations that we have had set in our lives for our entire lives so that other people might begin to know Jesus? what this text is about. Going to people that one might never go to before for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of them knowing the gospel. For the sake of their eternal souls. He was willing to do something that he had never done. Speak to people that he had never spoken to. Enter in with people he would never associate with so that they might know the same King Jesus that he knew. We often think that God sees or elevates or judges on color, but he doesn't. God sees the heart. God does not see economic economic status. God sees the heart. God doesn't see nationality or ethnic group, meaning he doesn't judge us by our nationality or our ethnic groups. God sees the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. We, you and I, look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Peter's preaching to the Gentiles. What he ended up saying to them was essentially the same thing that he preached to his Jewish people. He presented the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What he had done, therefore, how should we live? Indicative imperative. This is what Jesus has done. And so this is how we should live our lives. Peter didn't have one sermon for one group and another sermon for another. Well, I'm going to preach this because I know these people are sensitive over here on this side. And over here, I'm going to preach another sermon to this group because I know they're not as sensitive as that group. And so I can say whatever I want to say over here. No, no, no. He had the same sermon no matter where he was going. He preached the gospel no matter where it was, no matter where he was. He preached the same message. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid if he was going to offend somebody with the gospel. He didn't want to be offensive toward a person over anything else, but he, we know that sometimes the gospel is going to offend people. 
Our calling is to preach the gospel in season and out of season. This was his point. Jesus was baptized in identification with his humanity. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus went about doing good things and healing, delivering those who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus did this with power of God, for God was with him. Jesus did things um, in the presence of eyewitnesses. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, resurrected in view of many witnesses. Jesus was ordained by God to be the judge of the entire world. Jesus was the, uh, uh, the one foretold by the prophets. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except by him and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's salvation found in no other but in Jesus. Whoever believes, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, white or black, good or wicked, rich or poor, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here and you go, I, preacher, you don't know me. I, I may not, but God knows you. And this is just as true today as it was whenever Peter preached the same sermon. That salvation is for you. What do we do with all this? This I, I'm going to close this. This story is a big deal in the history of Christendom. Peter going to others was revolutionary, kind of like Jesus. Jesus, you know, got caught a lot of slack because he was going to people that they didn't go to in their normal, in their cultural norms. He went to people like that. And so same thing was happening here with Peter. He was going to people with the good news of the gospel that other people wouldn't go to. And so our call to be missionaries today is not some new message. The reason we say it is at refuge is not some catchphrase that we like to say at the end of a sermon, but we believe that we're called to be missionaries. It's a true calling for us that share and know the good news of the gospel. But it may seem new to some of you. This calling may be new to some of you. Too often the church has relied on pastors to share the good news of the gospel and the message of the gospel. Man, I've got a friend, and man, they, I, I, know, they're, I know they're not saved, and I, and I really want them to come to know the Lord. And, and if I could just get them to church and, and get with our pastors to preach, I, I mean, they preach the gospel at refuge. If I can just get them to church, then you know what? Maybe they'll hear the gospel and they'll become a Christian. You know what you should do? Share the gospel with them yourself. I can promise you, your friend would rather hear it from you than to hear it from this cat. They'd much rather know that you care enough about them and their eternal souls that they hear it from you. You students at school, your friends, you adults in your job, you people in your families. They'd much rather hear it from you. They're much more prone to listen to you than they are to come once show up here and to listen to me who they don't even, may not even know. Because that's not how it was done. They didn't take people to the temple in our text today. What do they do? Share the gospel. They're like, hey man, get this guy because he knows the gospel. They, they, he was called for and he came and he shared the gospel. Not in a church setting, but in a place like that. Peter lived sent, so Peter went. The gospel requires that we must be willing to go anywhere, do anything, Pay any price with anyone for the sake of the people knowing Jesus. That's our calling. So the question is, are you willing to live sent? I need you to answer that honestly today. Are you willing to live sent? 
Are you willing to live with the, the gospel on your lips so that you, the people that you know and love might come to know Jesus? If you don't have a heart for people coming to know Jesus, specifically the people you love, and you have to question, does the Spirit of God even live in you, bro? You have to ask that question. Because if my heart is dead toward people or uh, uh, doesn't care about where people come or, or doesn't care about the eternal souls of people, that I'm unwilling to enter into even difficult conversations, is my, is my heart been changed by the gospel? Do I understand the implications of eternal life and eternal damnation? Are you willing to engage with someone even if they might be different from you? Willing to engage for the sake of their eternal soul? Are you willing to live differently? To go to those who you may not know, may not even have a history with, kind of like we found in our text today. Listen, the Lord goes with you. The Lord goes before you. He prepares the way for you to go and to share the good news of the gospel. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit who is calling you to this. If you've never been called to this, you've never been prompted to go, never been prompted to share the gospel with somebody, you have to look at yourself and go, listen, the Holy Spirit wants you to do this. If you've never been prompted in that, you've got to ask yourself the question, does that same Spirit that we read about at work in the in Acts still live in me? You have to ask that question. And that's an imperative thing for you to know definitively what that answer is. So are you born again? Has your life been changed by the good news of the gospel? My hope for us, refuge, one, is if you're outside the household of faith today, that you will become a Christian today. Today. Your life will be changed, radically changed, so that people may look up to you and go, Bench, you're a preacher. They might look at you and go, dude, you're different. Something's changed about you. Something's different about you. That change doesn't come by us mustering it up ourselves. That change, that change comes when the Spirit of God awakens our dead hearts, makes us alive to the gospel, Makes us alive so that other people can know the good news of the gospel. Have you been born again? Last thing I'll say is this. Refuge. Let us be willing to go anywhere, to do anything, to pay any price, with anyone for the sake of people knowing Jesus. Let that be said of us. Let's pray.